Welcome to Pedagogy, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Sarah Beam talks about writing program administration, assessment and reflection, anti-ableism, grading contracts, and student engagement. Dr. Sarah Beam is an applied associate professor and university writing program director at the University of Tulsa. They love teaching first-year writing, technical writing, composition pedagogy, and English as a global language. Storytelling is their favorite way of sharing information, making arguments, and connecting with people. Disability justice, abolition, and writing program administration are key components of their praxis, and their current projects include a collaborative accessible writing program assessment project and a collaborative archival project recovering the stories of the students who attended the Presbyterian School for Indian Girls, TU's predecessor institution. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. As a writing program administrator, what's your administrative philosophy? What are some of the ways you think about writing program administration and your role as a director of the first year writing program? I mean, the first thing that I say to people is that I value radical transparency. And so that unfolds in a lot of different ways um, in a writing program administrator position. I want to talk a little bit about just what a writing program administrator position means to me um, and how, and then maybe I can kind of imply or explain how that applies. To me, a writing program administrator is a scholar, teacher, coordinator, organizer. That's how, (laughs) that's kind of how it works in my mind. It's one of those big, like combined German words. (laughs) Um, I also tend to think of myself as a university professor. Um, Like I don't belong to just a specific college, but to the university as a whole. And so that informs my entire perspective. And those are maybe the three things that I share with the people that I work with um, and talk about with them in our orientation meetings and our writing program meetings we have monthly um, just so that they know what I'm going for and can explain to me like what that means for them and what that might look like for them and we can have this feedback loop going just naturally alongside that ongoing group conversation alongside one-on-one relationship building and one-on-one work whether it's directly supporting somebody's course development, assignment refining, supporting their assessment of student learning, uh, then they're figuring out how their scholarly pursuits and their teaching philosophy overlap. This is how things kind of unfurl for me. That phrase, practice, value of radical transparency means that I want to and need to share details from the conversations I have to take part in at, you know, the dean's level, the provost level, um, the college level among, I have to, I want to share details from those, you know, unless somebody tells me explicitly, don't share these details, then to me, what I keep in my notes and what I use to inform my decision-making is is basically open source. Like this is what we're working with. And this is what is motivating this office's perspective and that office's perspective. And, you know, with my, my teachers and my writing center consultants and my wonderful 
writing center director, who's also an associate writing program director, um, Dr. Mark Rideout. We're sort of constantly working to figure out like, well, how much, like what does shared governance look like with writing program instructors, writing center folks is to tell the story of what's going on and solicit input, but also be very careful not to further burden those folks. If there is uh, something that's in danger of kind of crashing down upon them and interrupting the great work that they're doing, I want to offer them, you know, chances to provide input, to do research, perhaps some committee work, but never, never oblige people to that. What pedagogies do you draw from in your first year writing class and what kinds of classroom strategies do you use at the University of Tulsa? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love this question because my impulse is to talk then about how all of that, that philosophical perspective um, and those kind of balancing and negotiation, I align my teaching with that and I align that with my teaching. Um, I'm going for a kind of whole person (laughs) approach, um, trying to come from a place of um, compassion and joy if we can get there, um, or if we can find it and and harness that. Um, so, a few, I guess a few concrete ways this shows up in my classes. Number one, um, the importance of one-on-one conferencing in my teaching. Like in our writing program, we've had this long-standing requirement that you do at least two conferences with students, which is possible because we have low course caps of fifteen, seventeen, and eighteen in our sort of three core classes, I do at least two, I like to do more um, so that we transition from sort of class to to one-on-one. And I like to, you know, definitely schedule one of those conferences to happen in the first three weeks so that we connect early on. Um, So that's a specific kind of detail to that practice. Um, And of course, these conferences are There's a balance, I think, of sort of a Socratic approach, asking questions, you know, what are you thinking about? How is your day going? How is this assignment going? Are your other classes causing extra challenges as you work on this assignment? And then also having like a printed copy or an available copy of what we're working on so I can literally just highlight and give to the person like this is where um, we can do more work together or where, you know, you've said you're struggling um, or perhaps you thought this was going fine, but I see some issues where you thought there were problems is actually great. And so just being able to kind of clarify those little moments um, and bond with the students is important to me on whatever level they're comfortable with. More recently, this has shown up. Since I was a TA, I've been experimenting with collaborative assessment or student assessment of their own learning. Um, And lately I've been, I've reworked my classes around um, labor slash engagement contract grading. And I'm in, I think like the fourth or fifth iteration of that. And some practices from that really kind of illustrate what like radical transparency and hopefully like non-burdensome collaboration, (laughs) what they, what they look like, how they work. Um, The first thing that we'll do is um, I'll share a copy in Google docs of the syllabus and the class contract and ask every student to make two comments, add a question, a concern, 
just some feedback, a compliment. Um, this started with my online classes when we were doing emergency online learning, but I've maintained it for everybody's sake, including my own um, moving forward. Anyway, so putting that these class documents up and telling them like, what about this makes sense to you? Um, I want to know, um, and I want to know what doesn't make sense, what's confusing. Um, I will make typos also, and I will sometimes flip numbers and things like that. So I also need your help just as readers to make sure <laughs> that I'm communicating well. Um, and so opening up and inviting them for feedback on the structure of the class, the pacing of the assignment, the grading style, everything about it is open for them. In a perfect world, I would have time with the students at the beginning of the class for them to set everything up, right? But since we don't have that kind of time, I give them something to start with and invite their feedback. We also do that with the class contract. And then we do that with every class assignment, every major project. So they're providing input with me. Um, another feature of that style of grading, one last thing I'll mention is the um, sort of table where they're marking their, their labor and their engagement tasks. They're tracking those to themselves. I have a big preface saying this is not a time card. This is not a clock in clock out situation. This is a chance for you to think the conditions to think about the working conditions of your intellectual labor and to think about the contours and explore the contours of intellectual labor. What do they look like? What do they feel like? And uh, beneath that are a couple spots for their reflection journals. And so I, I set an individual doc up with that for each student. And they have this background sort of pipeline directly to me to tell me about um, what their work is like. And it's amazing to see um, what they share. Sarah, what writing program practices are you curating and developing that help you center that commitment to accessibility and anti-ableism? I have some parallel strategies that I use as a writing program administrator. Um, to try to bring in a not only a, a kind of critical disability studies, but a disability justice kind of praxis um, to administration. And I mentioned earlier, I didn't in my my four word description of this administration work um, at the end, we're sort of coordinator and organizer. And so that's <laughs> that's how I am trying to be. Um, as an administrator, especially with um, faculty in development, with TAs who are brand new or who are, you know, have some experience but are expanding that. Um, and, you know, so one parallel, one direct parallel would be our instructor's guide, which is this huge, like 120 page, you know, booklet that we've had for ages that I've been working on. Um, it's a living document. So I do the same, the same kind of thing where I'll put it in Google Docs and we use it to ground our conversations. It's got sections, you know, of course, with sort of university policy and descriptions of particular classes, but then it's also got sections on pedagogical development. And so we can use that are maybe more kind of instructional. Like if you haven't done this before or if you haven't thought about it in detail, 
analytically, like perhaps you know that you've always kind of had this knack for teaching, but you don't have the words for it. It's important to me to teach folks and engage in conversation with folks about pedagogy and, uh, and bring them kind of language um, and perspectives that they would have gotten if they took an intro to education class and if they took a, um, a you know, at least a brief course on assessment. So we've got that shared document that everybody is commenting on that we're, that kind of uh, changes with the times uh, each year. We're, and, and my goal is not for us to sort of unthinkingly adhere to what it says, but to always engage with it critically. And, you know, it is there to serve us, not the other way around. Um, I also do two annual one-on-one -on -one conferences with um, everybody in the writing program, everybody who's, you know, adjunct, uh, TA, postdoc. For adjuncts and postdocs, it depends on kind of where they are and what they need. If we can't do our one-on-ones at the same time that I'm doing them with the TAs, we just do them when we need to. So we do have these monthly meetings and we have an August orientation. Um, all of those I set up to be high flex so that folks can join us and contribute how and when they are able. Um, and for example, maybe one last thing I'll mention, it's a good sort of story to illustrate how we create policy together. And this is what I presented about at the four C's. Um, I think it was 2021, I'm not sure. Um, but Anna Barrett and Tara Wood and I had a, a panel together about academic ableism and my focus was on revising our longstanding draconian punitive attendance policy. So we had conversations as a group as we could over the course um, of the pandemic year when we had to shift to like an emergency um, set of policies because the old one was clearly just out of line and unethical. Um, you know, one of those where if you miss uh, more than three classes, your grade is automatically dropped um, unless those absences are excused. And then there's this long process for getting them excused that involves required documentation and interaction with university authority figures and things like that. There's just so many barriers, um, especially thinking about here in Oklahoma and um, limited access to healthcare, limited access to transportation, all, all of those factors. Um, and then the, you know, the history of, of Tulsa, thinking about um, the McGirt case and the Muskogee Reservation here, um, thinking about um, Greenwood and Black Wall Street and the Race Massacre of 1921, bringing all those historical contexts to bear on our policymaking um, has been generative and um, led us to, as a group, decide to keep to pretty much keep that emergency attendance policy, which is a lot more human. <laughs> like uh, if you, like, yes, if you start to, like, yes, you need to be here, but we've got all these options for you to engage with the class. If you can be here in the moment, 
great, whether it's online or synchronously. If you need to catch up later asynchronously, we'll have a method ready for that. As much as the instructor can do without infringing on their own kind of energy resources. That's important, right? Always bringing it back to there. So anyway, we as a group decided to revise this policy together. We changed the book, we changed the syllabus templates, and now we're rolling with it. I'm curious as to how attendance policies work within a labor-based grading contract that often values more labor, more participation, more time, and so on. So how do you negotiate or reconcile between a disability studies approach, attendance policies, and labor-based grading? There's this place of tension, sort of your access needs and my access needs meet. To me, is not a place to feel fear about, but I think it can be a really generative. Some of the things, you know, the way I set up contracts, I carry over the same kind of revised attendance policy. So there are no kind of points lost or gained for attendance. It's that engagement that I'm looking for. And that engagement can look like varying amounts of time. To me, the, the issue of time isn't, and looking for a certain number of hours, isn't exact. It isn't standard for every student. And so like when I put down like doing your draft uh, could take like four hours. I put the little uh, <laughs> the little uh, symbol for about, right? And I always try to phrase it as like, this looks different for different people. Some folks work a little bit every day some people do big chunks on Tuesday and Friday. Um, some folks have to do everything on one weekend day. And if they lose that day for some reason, they're shot. They're going to need an out because they're not going to have another chance. And so we're, we work with numbers, but we, un, but we think about them critically. That's what I tell students. Um, and I also fill out like a, a little kind of labor and engagement log alongside them to illustrate what this looks like for me. Um, and we have conversations about like, well, when during the week do you do the work for this class? And are you somebody who needs a rigid schedule or who needs the freedom and needs to be able to just go back and loosely estimate like, here's what I did. That's how it works for me. Um, so sort of storytelling, how, where this work is happening, how it's happening, what conditions it's dependent on, um, and emphasizing that this is not, when we say work, it's not meant to be grinding. You don't have to grind for this class. Like you can just, uh, if you need to just focus on the reading, if you need to stare off into space for a certain amount of time, um, if you need to rest your brain and make a little bit of room for the muse to come in, like all of those things count. All of those things are important. I, I explain things to the TAs and, and grad students in this way. Um, and I invite them to use this model. They are not forced too. There are a few who do, and there are others who use other models, either based um, around other collaborative assessment models, based around student self-assessment to one degree or another. And then there are folks who just use the kind of traditional grading criteria. Our focus on the attendance policy was a great way just to get folks thinking about 
um, how complicated this part of teaching is and how it's not a given and um, it's meant to be queried. And I really don't kind of mind where you land in your own policies as long as you're thinking about, you know, learning conditions and teaching conditions and and having some conversations with students, you know, about about that part of a writing class. What kinds of conversations do you have with graduate students about assessing student engagement, particularly those who are new to teaching? This makes me think of pedagogical development, and I'm interested in hearing how you help new instructors understand and quantify engagement. So, you know, one thing, one kind of easy replacement that's more, you know, a reform than an abolish approach to, you know, grading engagement is, you know, you can just kind of supplement participation in um, drafting exercises, brainstorm exercises, anything where the student can share a kind of artifact, whether it's written or a, uh, or doodled or a voice recording or a video, you know, a vlog. Um, that is kind of the approach that we'll take. Um, and if a student starts missing many of those, what happens is like, we'll generally set a, like a, a sort of threshold, right? Like if you, have missed out on, you know, three days in a row of these kind of activities. Um, we're going to put a pause on everything for you, reach out, and and we'll need to talk a little bit about what's going on because clearly you're going to need to adjust your plans for the class to be able to kind of keep up. And you need to decide, like, is this, you know, in the class, are you going for an A? Are you going for a B? Are you going for a C? And if you need to skip out on this assignment, you can. Um, so it, the, you know, just recording points and just checking attendance turns into more like looking for flags that we need to adjust something. And with the the sort of labor diary and journal. Um, those are the chances, and that's kind of the pipeline for the student um, to talk to us a little bit about what's going on and what's possible. Thanks, Sarah. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.